This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome back to Dollars and Change on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Cheryl Kuhlman, your host, and I'm flying solo today because all my other co-hosts are off on vacation. Lucinda Cramsey is the founder of Moink. The company works with nearly 100 eco-friendly, ethical, and sustainable farmers to support American producers and make farm-to-table dining easier than ever. Lucinda, welcome to Dollars and Change. Well, thank you. Well, we're delighted to have you on, and I I think that part of what we will tease out in our discussion is a little bit about, um, again, some of these interconnections that that one sees as you you address a problem. But first, before we talk about Moink, let's talk about your background a little bit. Sure. Uh, You know, I was raised on a small family farm. I am an eighth-generation farmer. And when I was 11, my my father passed away, and this is when I really started to realize how hard family farming is, or farming in general even, right? And uh, that left a huge impact on me. You know, we we grew up, we struggled, I I was raised in poverty. And so as I grew up, I knew I wanted to help small family farms. And, um, you know, my journey kind of came full circle as I, I now am you know, on the family farm, a generation farmer, and I'm fighting to help other family farms be financially independent outside of big ag. Because like you said, there are ramifications of, of how one thing affects another. And, um, you know, there's lots of reasons I fight for the family farm, but those reasons have fingers that reach into a lot of different aspects of other people's lives and, and, and your dinner table and, and lots of different things. But my background is in farming, and, and like I said, I'm an eight-generation farmer. And, and I'm just, I'm thinking back, eight generations goes back a long time. What had, what, what does your farm farm? Right. So on my personal farm, my husband and I mainly raise hogs. Now, we are a um, regenerative agricultural farm. Oh, Interesting which means that we don't just do a monoculture. So even though hogs are our main thing, you know, we do have chickens, we have sheep, uh, we do raise some alfalfa, which is like a, like a grass, a hay. And um, we, we also even have some llamas, right? Cause llamas well, you have llamas? Sheep. So we have llamas. Oh, and, I'm so jealous. <laughs> they are interesting creatures. They, they do spit. I uh, hear that. great great uh, guard animals and so they guard our sheep and our chickens and keep them safe from the uh, predators that that you have in a natural environment so um yeah that that is our main thing is raising hogs so, so can you talk a little bit i'm just imagining a llama's face in, in in my vision so it's they're so cute um can you go a little bit more into regenerative farming because i think that people who may not have studied this issue might just sort of think this, oh, this is probably what organic farming is, right? Um, and I, I, I heard you laugh. Um, <laughs> I think you you can really spell out just how um, how important regenerative farming is, both for the the broad issue, but then also the specifics about how it's how it's not organic. I mean, or, organic isn't regenerative, right? So I feel compelled to first. Uh, preface this conversation or this little note by saying my husband and I farm we have gone through the organic certification right and then before that I spent 10 years setting up 
certified organic food hubs across the country. So I'm very familiar with the ins and outs of organic regulations. In a nutshell, I will say a label is only as good as the person that stands behind it. Mm -hmm. And that's what people really need to understand. Now let me explain the difference between organic and regenerative agriculture. Regenerative agriculture says that you want to regenerate the soil and the land. Okay, so your objective is to um, bring back the microbes that maybe have, have disappeared through years of monoculture or um, row cropping, which is where you swap, you know, corn for soybeans year to year, um, and different things. And you use the animals and um, crop rotation to regenerate your soil. In other words, you want to leave it a little better than you found it, because everything's got uh, something to give, and it's Everybody has a piece to play on a farm, right? And so we introduce different things by a plant, rotation, animals, etc. Organic, the term certified organic, what that means is that there aren't pesticides, herbicides, these sort of things that aren't natural in that food chain. Mm -hmm. So in other words, it doesn't really tell you was that a biodiverse, what, what was the effect on the actual land, and, and to put it real straight, I assume that you probably think when you hear the word organic chicken that those chickens were outside running around, free range, roaming, living the good life. I think people do. And the technicality of that is that they are raised in something that they, I think the fancy term they use is stationary pens. That's a confinement building. So an organic chicken has just been given organic feed. Now, there are a few more things, like they need to have so much space or something. But you really, to me, having gone through this, been an advocate of, uh, of organic for many years, now regenerative farming, I will tell you that organic a lot of times is just how can you uh, finagle these regulations to slip past it, right? Especially now that you have a lot of corporate interest into the yeah. word organic itself. But regenerative agriculture is all about helping soil this, that, and the other. So, and another, just let me just drive home the point why, why sometimes that's so confusing, which is so terrible for the consumer, right? Because they want to do the right thing. Um, just because it's organic, specifically chicken, doesn't mean it hasn't been dipped in bleach. In fact, 97% of the chicken in the United States has been dipped in chlorine. My producer's giving me this look like dipped in bleach. Yes, yes. In fact, that's why, you know, let me take this a little step further. Ramifications, as you started out your conversation, let me circle back to that and say on, on the dollars and cents in trade, um, you know, there was a big conversation with Brexit that when they, when Brexit goes through, where will they get the chicken? And it was all fun and games until somebody said, well, we're going to have to get it from the U.S. And uh, then there was the, oh, no, we are not eating bleached chicken. Oh. <laughs> you know, so it's a, it's a trade thing also on these regulations that we kind of need to look at. But, but in short, regenerative agriculture is looking at the whole ecosystem and saying, no, we're not going to spray chemicals, we're going to see how we can uh, work together with plants and animals to restore the health of our soil and, and produce a high-quality product. Wow. Okay. So this... That was a lot. No, no, this is great. This is... Uh, discussion I think is important and it sort of goes to one aspect of the, the work that you're doing with Moink. And we're going to get to Moink, don't worry. But the other point that you talked about was um, beyond the environmental and the food, the food health and the non-bleached chicken, 
the effect on small farmers, right? So yeah. give it, paint us a, a picture, as good as the bleached chicken picture, of what the ecosystem is like for small family farmers. What, you know, what are you facing? What are your neighbors and, and other colleagues facing? Sure. In 2018, the average on-farm income in the United States was a loss of $800. Wow. Only 2% of Americans eat. I mean, only 2% of Americans are farmers. 100% of us eat. We got a math problem. And so with this on-farm income being a loss, you know, where I live, it's a joke that, not joke because it's real life, that the majority of farmers have off-the-farm jobs, meaning their primary occupation is not a farmer, and that's statistically backed up, because we've got to pay for our farming habit. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, farmers are losing money at an astronomical rate. Um, That goes into, you know, why we do it, which is a valid question. But let me um, explain what that means in real-life terms. Big Ag, there are uh, four companies that control over 80% of the meat industry here in the U.S. Profits were millions. Wow. Uh, so their, their revenues, billions. Um, so essentially, to, to make that point very succinct, these large corporate ag companies are making a killing by killing the small family farm. And so these ramifications of the small family farms not making money go far beyond the oh that's a sad tale you know it's beyond that there are like very real consequences of the fact that uh, farmers are not making money for a variety of different reasons and so Moink has come in and said man we're just going to have this novel concept this simple concept of let's pay a farmer an honest day's pay for an honest day's work this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, Series XM 132. I'm your host, Cheryl Kuhlman, and we are talking to Lucinda Cramsey, who's the founder of Moik. We were talking about the the environmental issues um, of organic versus regenerative, and now we're really going to turn to understanding how Moink is Lucinda's um, p- attempt to address some of the challenges she faces as an eighth-generation farmer, which still astounds me. So... Tell us about Moink. So what Moink does is that we connect uh, tender-hearted carnivores, in other words, somebody <laughs> who wants to eat meat, uh, <laughs> but has a conscious, right, uh, which I would hope to be everybody, with high-quality and uh, humanely raised meats from small family farms like mine. And the problem that Moink is solving here is that we are giving farmers an outlet to be able to sell, uh, to, to raise animals in a regenerative way and have a marketplace for them. Um, and then we allow consumers to get this meat direct from these family farms. You know you're getting a high quality. Um, and we actually, a big part of what we do is bring our story straight to the consumer. So that, because we feel there's, there's power in education of like, here's what we're working on. Here's how this is different. This is what your purchase, how it impacts. And so it's not just helping farmers be financially independent, which is very important, it's also uh, helping the environment as we, you know, create a market for regenerative agriculture. And really, it's a difference that at the end of the day, you can actually taste. So 
help me understand and, and help the listeners understand how this how this model works. So between the farm, like your farm, and uh-huh. my table and a delivery of meat, how, how do you how, what happens? How do you get to the farmers? How do you get the the meat? How does it get to the consumer? Okay, so let me just ask for clarification. You're talking about Moink, or do you want to know about the industry in general? No, I want to know about Moink. Okay, so what happens is that we work with these independent farms, and depending on where they're at, every, okay, every species has its own supply chain, and we offer five species. And every farmer has a different uh, avenue in which their product gets aggregated aggregated um, at our warehouse in Kansas City. So what we do is we go in with the farmer, okay, here's how you're raising it, great, um, how can we help you, um, get them on board, and then we go to the step of, well, I know people don't like to think about this, but I'm in the business of making this my business, which is how does the animal go from the pasture to the package, right? right? And there are ways to do that, you know, the proximity to the farmer, making sure that that processing facility is not just USDA approved, that we uh, follow temple granted methods, we work with small artisan processors, and so this meat is processed, and then it gets aggregated at our warehouse in Missouri, and then we ship it via FedEx to your doorstep. And is it frozen, or? Mm-hmm. So it ships frozen. We, we um, freeze it right after well, we age it, right, for uh-huh. our beef, but then we freeze it there. Our, our chicken is air-chilled. Little known fact, um, a lot of your meat at the grocery store is allowed to be frozen and, re- and thawed and then refrozen. I right? thought you weren't supposed to do that. You you know, that's why they tell you, the consumer, not to, uh, but the grocery store is definitely allowed to have it come in, defrost it, sell it to you, thawed, and then often consumers will go home and freeze it. Yeah. Whereas ours skips that whole step, and we freeze it, send it straight to you. And so, what? Um, how do you ensure the that the farmers you're getting from are committed to regenerative farming and to, you know, um, ethical treatment of the animals, et cetera? Do you visit so, them, or you you know them? Yeah. So two things. One. <laughs> this is my wheelhouse, right? Uh-huh. I'm a farmer. I speak the language. I know what I'm looking for. Ah, okay. I love that. Farm, yeah. uh, first of all. Secondly, the proof is in the taste. You can't fake it. You just can't. You can tell it when you eat it, the difference. And secondly, the proof is in the death loss. Because if you rate, you can't go halfway on regenerative agriculture. you got to go all the way or not, not there at all. And the reason I say that is because everything has to work in tandem because you're not using the antibiotics, you're not using hormones, you're not doing spray. If you didn't go all the way and do all the things, you would have death loss. Because just like we started out, I was telling you that our our llamas guard our sheep. Well, if we didn't have that there, then we'd lose half our sheep, right? So there's... there's, um, that's how we, we kind of stand behind it and know is that, first of all, like I said, I, I speak the lingo. We visit the farms. And thirdly, the proof is in the quality. You can't fake it. It makes me want to do a taste test. Yeah, I, I, I'd do a throwdown any day. I, <laughs> I think uh, a blind, blind test, taste test any day, you can tell the difference. Yeah, that's, that's so compelling. So 
I imagine, well, okay. So you identify farmers. Um, you're, are you finding ones that are already committed to regenerative farming? Or are you finding farmers who you can nudge into regenerative farming and into the kind of moink approach when they know that there's a market, when you, they know that doing so will mean that they're able to have a place to sell it to? Both. Okay. Uh, we started with people that were already doing this and needing a market. Uh, we ran into trouble with chickens because it's a lost art. And there's only so many people that are raising chickens outdoors. 99% of the chicken in the United States is raised in confinement buildings. 99%? Wow. 99% of the chicken are, are these quote-unquote stationary pens, but they're confinement buildings. And so that has almost become a lost art. So there we have had to bring people on board, explain there's a market, show the economics, teach them how to do it. We've also taken some of our other moink farmers that maybe their main species was cattle or hogs and said, will you raise chickens for us? It'll be a nice addition to your farm. That Their droppings leave a nice fertilizer content. They're good for junk ground, as, as we call it. Um, help junk ground is, is ground that, that has the uh, nutrients and all the biomes stripped? Yes and no. It could just be that that soil is rocky, uh, you know, um, so that it, it's not necessarily that it's been stripped. It maybe just hasn't had inputs for a while. And by inputs, that is, you know, fertilizer. And by fertilizer, I, I mean manure. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's no way around it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So... This has been great. We've, we're covering a lot of a lot of land here, um, yeah. Between the regenerative and the farmer uh, issues, and understanding how you're working with the with the farmers to get them engaged and show there's some market. How you sell into consumers? So we sell via our website, which is moinkbox.com. And Moink stands for Moo plus Oink. Box. Yeah, we thought that. <laughs> <laughs> that was our bet. We do a subscription-based model, and the reason we do that is because one of the challenges we face as a small family farm is knowing demand, because we have to know it takes a while. You know, a cattle, two years, yeah. um, chickens are eight weeks, even that, I mean, eight weeks turnaround time. So by having a subscription model, we can be hand-in-hand hand with the consumer of saying, okay, how often do you want a box? And of course, we allow people to like it, make changes, customize this how they want. But this idea of like we're in it together, so do you want to get boxed every six weeks helps us on the farming side be able to get into the management of like, okay, what do we do need to do now to plan for next year and the year after? Because we don't think about what time we have to be at work tomorrow, although that's a thing for us as well. We're thinking about what do we have to do today that's going to affect us three years in the future, 30 years in the future, and our grandbabies 100 years in the future. Yeah, that's, and I think that um, it, it makes all sorts of sense, of course, because, you, you you know, cows don't just, you know, get birthed and then yeah. turn into a big, big old cow within a month. It takes a long yeah. time. So that unpredictability is a very, very difficult thing. Sure. Yeah, it's a dance. Yeah. It's a dance. Yeah, mm -hmm. but you're right. This is, subscription makes that happen. So... Mm -hmm. You are a eighth-generation farmer, which still astounds me, um, and also an entrepreneur, right? So yes, talk to us a little bit about your, your shark-taking experience. But before that, talk a little bit about how did you make 
that transition? Was it was it hard, or farmers, you know, in many ways, small business or well, business owners and entrepreneurial in themselves? They are in a lot of ways. You are, um, you know, for me. Some people say they wake up and decide to be an entrepreneur. I just did what's in front of me. Um, you know, growing up in poverty, not having a lot of opportunities. When I was given one, I seized it. And so I started out um, in the fruit and vegetable world, connecting people in the city. My nearest large city from where I grew up with is Kansas City, and connecting them with uh, fruits and vegetables from local farmers. And from there, I had quite an interesting journey, which take too long to get into the details. But the, the short of it is I started setting up these little organic uh, food box programs, fruits and vegetables, all over the country to help small family farms have a way to get their fruits and vegetables to market. And so being an entrepreneur for me is a lot like farming. I mean, you just, you don't know one, one year it's going to rain and it's going to be horrible and hard. And the next year you might hit a good lick, but either way you just get up and keep going. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And and so, uh, why'd you why'd you shift from fruits and vegetables to to meat? Was it because you, you your farm had hogs? Is that was that the realization that whatever you did with the fruits and vegetables could also be done with meats? Yeah, um, that's one. And two is my husband's a lot better at raising hogs than he is potatoes. <laughs> He's just a lot better. You know, everybody's got their skill set. So uh, there you go. (laughs) And that was it. So talk to me about uh, being on Shark Tank, farm girl on Shark Um, Tank. Yes, being from a town of 600 people, it it was an amazing experience for me. I jokingly call it the Fight Club instead of Shark Tank because I felt like we was fighting. Um, but in the end, you know, it was an amazing experience. And I got to tell you, I feel honored. I feel honored to get up and take the story of the family farm to America. Because after my episode aired and people got to see behind the scenes, they got videos of what my farm looks like. We had people come out of the woodwork that said, you know, I didn't even know there was a problem. And we had farmers that came out of the woodwork that would bring it to your knees with tears going, thank you. Thank you. We're struggling. Thank you for putting us on the map. So I always say I'm the most unlikely spokesperson because I'm a little rough around the edges. <laughs> but I appreciated the opportunity to stand up and uh, have a voice for the family farm, the 2% of us that farm here in the United States. And down into the dirty details, you know, Mr. Wonderful, I think they call him, uh, Kevin O'Leary. Yeah, we went back and forth. But at the end of the day, he did say it was the best bacon he's ever had in his life. So I said, all right, we're going to remain friends. <laughs> That's good. Well, and I, I like the way you describe um, the the situation. I mean, people who aren't farmers didn't realize there's a problem. Farmers didn't realize there was a solution. Um, and so you were able to sort of use Moink as a way to... Uh, address the the challenge and you know find an approach that that might help and I think that that's that's um, quite interesting so what's next for Moink? Uh, you know uh, we just plow ahead I had so many farmers come out of the woodwork that said they were struggling after Shark Tank that I told each and every one of them I don't know how because I really don't because I I, I mean there's so many challenges to getting all the logistics set up 
and bringing on new farmers. So I don't know every step I'm going to take, but I tell you, I'm going to give it my all to make sure I send the Calvary for every single last one of those farmers, because I believe that if somebody wants to farm, there should be a way for them to feed America and put food on their own table. And I think that somebody's just got to step up and solve the problem. So that's what's next for Moink. As we continue to grow, we bring on more farmers. Um, and, and that's where we're at because at the end of the day, it's not just about, hey, these people need our help. It's about America's food security. I mean, 60% of, I mean, the largest producer of pork in the United States is Smithfield Farms, and they are wholly owned by a Chinese company. America's food security depends on the 2% of us that are American. And if no one else will step up, I will. And so that's what's next with, with Moink. To me, it's a personal fight, and I call it a fight because that's what it is every day, solving these problems. But I have felt those pangs of hunger as a child of a farmer. I have felt those. And so I know what's at stake, and I know the fight that it takes to hold on to family land and fight for our culture and fight for our ability to feed America a high-quality product. It's silly that problem exists, but it does, and I'm here to solve it. And I can't imagine that the small farmers would have a better fighter than you on their side. So (laughs) thank you so much. We've been talking to Lucinda Cramsey, the founder of Moink. Uh, We're going to have to wrap up our show. Thank you all so much for joining us. If you have a question about something you've heard, you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And be sure to follow our show on Twitter at BizRadio132 and at Wharton Social. I'd like to thank our program director, Patty Hall, as well as associate producer and sound engineer, Dion Simpkins, and producer, Matt Datz. I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. You've been listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, SiriusXM132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.